this morning I bring God's word to you uh, again from 1 Peter 2 or from the same letter first letter to Peter we'll continue our series though uh, with big breaks in between but we'll continue uh, in 1 Peter 2 from verse 11 till verse 17 so there's an error on my part we're not going to verse 18 we're going to stop at verse 17 So let me read from 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 11. And Peter there writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, to punish who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Amen. So as we continue our studies in the first letter written by Peter, we now come to a new section in his letter. And the section we're now starting to study is from, uh, from verse 11 that we have started up to chapter 4, verses 11. And that forms the, the middle section of this letter. In a way, it forms the heart of the letter that, Paul, or that Peter writes. In the first part, so from chapter 1 and chapter 2 up to uh, verse 10, Peter describes who those are who are in Christ, what our identity is in Christ, that we are ones who have been born again. We are ones who have been chosen. We are a holy nation. We see in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. But then it comes with that imperative, or that, um, uh, but we should do, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. So after Peter described to us what we are in Christ and our identity in Christ, he now continues in the next section, the middle part of the Latin, how those who are in Christ, how those who have been called, how those are to live their daily life, how they are to walk before Christ. Now before Peter starts giving those instructions, he starts again, as he's done so many times in the past, by coming as a loving pastor, writing to his people. He starts with, Beloved, I urge you. So, these that Peter writes to, and Peter writes to us in this letter, we are beloved. We are the objects of love. Love by Peter himself, so we see he is a 
pastor who loves his people, although he has authority over them because he is an apostle, an, uh, uh, sorry, an apostle sent by God. But he also loves them as brothers. So we see in here that authority and love are not contradicting each other. They are complementary to each other. Peter has authority over them, but in that he loves them. He pastorally writes to them. But it's not only that they are loved by Peter himself. Even more, they are loved by God. We are loved by our Heavenly Father, as we have seen in chapter 2, verse 9. So we are a people for his own possession, with those who have been chosen by our Heavenly Father. He has set his love upon us, even before we could have loved him. We all are precious in his sight. Paul also writes about that. We see the same in Ephesians 1, the, verse 4 and 5, where Paul writes, In love, Christ, or our God, Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So, we are beloved in Christ. So Peter then continues after reminding them what we are in Christ. He has reminded us of our status. He now instructs us as how we are to live. Now here Peter speaks about the rich truth that we have in scripture. But now we need to apply that to us. So it's all well to know that God loves us. That God has forgiven us our sins. But we need to apply that rich knowledge to ourselves. See how that affects us in how we are living before him. So it's important for us to know who we are in Christ. But then also how we are to live in Christ. How we are to live as those belonging to Christ in an unchristian world. So we as Christians, we those are children called um, called by Christ, drawn from darkness into light. Though we are free to live, we are free in Christ. However, our freedom binds us to our calling as well. So in contrast with today's view that liberty means we are free from every responsibility. Peter here speaks to us that indeed we are free. But in that freedom we have in obedience to God. So Peter then urges us or exhorts us. And that is here then the main concern that Peter writes to us. Now in his exhortation in verse 11 and 12, he writes that in a both a positive and a negative way. First of all, in a negative we are abstain, to abstain from passions of the flesh. And then afterwards we are to keep our conduct honorable. And Here Peter writes in contrast to what they were before. We see in chapter 1 verse 18 that these people that Peter writes to, they were ransomed from from their futile ways in which they lived. But now we should do the opposite. We should live honorably to God. And then as Peter continues to write, he's more concerned about in our living to avoid sin rather than to avoid suffering. 
So as Peter continues to write this section and how we are to live before Christ, there may be times that that will mean that we need to suffer for Christ. And Peter constantly in his letters is not writing to them that they avoid suffering, but more how to avoid sin in their lives. So we're only going to look at the first part of that middle section. But in that whole section, people of Peter warns against two extremes. He either warns against resisting things from the world, but also warns against privatizing. But we isolate ourselves from the world. So in our section, and continue later, we see two major principles. First of all, that Christians must maintain their identity in Christ. And as people who are saved by Christ, we need to be prepared to suffer for holding our convictions and values as we follow Christ. And we'll see that throughout this middle section that Peter warns about that. But at the same time, in our allegiance to God and Christ, it does not exempt us from submitting to worldly or pagan authority. So verses 11 till 12 or 11 and 12 is more or less a foundation which the rest of that section will build on. So we're going to focus a bit more on verse 11 and 12 and then we're going to look at 13 till 17 as one of the areas in our lives that Peter applies this to. So I preach you God's word under the theme this morning in glory to God in our daily living. First of all, we look at how we maintain our identity in Christ. And then afterwards, what is our right submission to authority? So first we're going to look at, as Christians, how we are to maintain our identity in Christ. The one way we should see ourselves and how we are live, indeed we should engage with society, but as those who are what we call resident aliens or sojourners, we are foreigners in this world. So Peter has done it earlier, but again he describes the readers as sojourners. Now there could either be that Peter writes to those who have been displaced, so write to the Jews in the diaspora, but also it could be more in a sociological level, that they are sojourners in where they live. But the word sojourners that is mentioned over here and said is resident aliens or visiting foreigners. I always find that term resident aliens really strange. So when me and my family were in the States the two years that we were living there, we were resident aliens. So we were there, but it wasn't our home country. And that is the similar term that we see in Genesis 23 verses 4. And there we read about Abram. So Abram writes, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you from a, for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. So Abram lived in that country, but he had no property. He was a sojourner in that place. And Peter here reminding us of the status that Abram was in. He reminds us, that as Christians, we stand in the long tradition of those who have no home on earth. Though we live on earth, this is not our home. 
Our hope and our future is settled on something much better. Our eternal, um, eternal home with Christ. And that shapes how we live. The letter to the he, Hebrews later when he speaks about the way Abraham lives. We see in Hebrews 11 verse 9 and 10. They write, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, as with him of the same promise. But, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So as we live here on earth, we are exogenous, we are looking forward to that heavenly city, to be with Christ and to reign with Christ. So our citizenship is in heaven. Believers are those who desire a better country. Again, we read that in the same chapter of Hebrews 11. So as we live, and I don't know what situation you are in, but we may be seen as outcasts in this society. And that certainly was a situation that Peter writes to Quickly, want to look at First Peter four, verse four, where he writes: "With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you." So they were seen as outcasts in this surprise that, as Christians, we um, do not do certain things because we are in Christ. Yet yeah, though we may be outcast in the world, we are not alienated from God. So as resident aliens or temporary residents where we live, we are to abstain ourselves from the passions of the flesh. So that abstain is to distance us from it. In our daily lives, mean not to adopt the lifestyles that we have in this foreign country. And a similar way, if you live temporarily in another country, there may be certain things they do which you don't adopt because you know you're only going to be there for a temporary, for a short time. And again, that's the same for us as we live today. We should remember that our citizenship is in heaven. So we are to abstain from certain things or to distance us from it. When Peter writes about the passions of the flesh, It does certainly include sexual sin as well. But it's not just restricted to that. Here, passions of the flesh can also be described as strong impulses to possess or to enjoy. Another way to putting is uncurbed human impulses. Or assured desires that become an end to themselves. We are to distance ourselves from it. A good example of that we found in the Old Testament, where Joseph was fleeing from Potiphar's wife. He fleed from it because he knew that he would sin. So we should avoid that in our lives at all costs. Because that is a lifestyle that is opposed to the life in Christ. Satan is still at war in us. Although we may be free from sin, Satan still fights against us. We are not yet free from sin. And we see that 
Peter writes, it wages war against your soul. It is something that is direct in opposition to who we are. Our identity, our soul is now a new identity in Christ. So we should distance us from all those things that is in direct opposition to those who have their identity in Christ. Our joy in life is to be with Christ. Our joy is not to enjoy the things of this earth. Again, we sang from Psalm 16. I just want to read from you for you again the final verse. There the psalmist writes, You have made known to me the path of life. Your presence, there is fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our pleasures are not in the worldly pleasures, but to be at the right hand of Christ. His presence is the fullness of our joy. So that means in our life we should possess self-control. And one way to do that is not just to empty our minds from these passions, but to fill it with all godly thoughts. In our minds being heavily minded, as Paul writes to us in Colossians 3. So as Christians, we are to be of the world, but we are not in the world. The implications of this is what Peter writes here, is that the way we are to live is not that there are two separate spheres in life. There is one, a gentle society that is evil, and then Christians who are good. There is overlap between those spheres in our lives. And all as Christians, where we work, go to school, in our neighborhood, we will see those two spheres overlapping with each other. So Peter here is not condemning all of secular society, because there is definitely overlap. But Peter here instructs us how we are to live in this society. In the fourth chapter, Peter then really describes, he says, instructs how to live the rest of your life in the flesh. So we are living as those who have been saved by Christ, but we live in a world that is um, not in line with Christ's rules. So we are to live in a way that is recognized by the Gentiles as being good. So we see then, the second, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. Although they may speak against us as being evil, they will still recognize there are things that we do as Christians that is good. That could be loving your neighbor, helping those who are in need. So those who are outside of Christ, they do recognize things that is being good. Now in today's society, the expectation of others is very low. People in a way expect people to behave in an immoral way. So when someone rises above, above that, it immediately is seen by the world and it sometimes even surprises the world. So as Christians, we should live in a way that surprises the world in how we are to live so that we can be witnesses to Christ. Now that can be very challenging for us where we live. The world today sees many sins as doing good. So how we are to live a 
according to that and in that will is challenging for us. So Peter therefore writes to us and he challenges us to live according to our Christian values. And there may be times where our Christian values will be in contact or in conflict with the society. But therefore he writes to Christians that we should be willingly to endure the grief and alienation that will result from that. But then we live as those where home on earth is not our home. We look forward to that better place. So Jesus also reflects in the same way how, how we are to live in where God has placed us. In Matthew 5 verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So where we are to live, let our light shine so that others can glory, give glory to God. So it's important how we are to live. We are being watched by those around us. And that warning Paul gives to us in Romans 2. We read in verse 23 and 24. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. I think that's a stark warning for us as we live in whatever place God has placed us. That how we live, how we interact with those around us, that we will not break the law or not do things in contrary what Christ has asked us. Because in that way, God is, can be blasphemed because of how we live. So where Christ has put us into the workplace or at home or where you live, we are to be witnesses to Christ in our lifestyle. So that the world around us who is in enmity with God may see the beauty of living in holiness. So despite pagan or worldly injustice, the impact of Christians will not be lost. Not in Peter's day, nor in ours. So the outcome of this, as we live according to how Christ asks us to live, is that Gentiles will not only vindicate us of slander, as they see here, um, so when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So far more than they vindicate us is that they will give glory to God. For some unbelief will turn to belief. And we know that that is not in our hands, it's in God's hands. But we trust that as we are witnesses to Christ in our lifestyle, that some will come to Christ. And how we do that and how that is worked out, Peter then describes in the verse, from verse 13 onwards till chapter 3, verse um, 4, 4, 4, 4, verse 11. Now Peter doesn't write to us to withdraw from society. We should not privatize our own lives and withdraw from society. But we should live in society that is honorable so that they who are around us, may give glory to God. 
just very quickly towards the end where it speaks of the day of visitation that we give glory to God on the day of visitation but could mean two different things either God visiting us with his mercy and we see that in the way Zacharias is speaking in Luke 1 at the birth of his son John he speaks about God visiting us meaning God redeeming his people as John was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ but it could also mean in the, at the final day of judgment that during that day people will give glory to God and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord looking at the rest of the letter of Peter is probably more that Peter is referring to the day of visitation the final day of judgment but I believe that even now God will visit us with his mercy and that some will come to Christ because of the way we live so as we apply that to our own lives ask all of us to to think as how are we pursuing a close walk with God as we saw in Psalm 1 how do we live to those who have been saved in Christ are we pursuing am I pursuing to cut sinful desires out of my own life and that may mean certain changes in the way you live so I urge you to prayerfully consider these things in your own life but for also how do we intentionally grow in holiness the way to do that is to use the means of grace that God has given to us reading his word, coming together in worship, praying to him so in all that we live we can give glory to God we know to remember our identity in Christ but finally one practical way how we look into that is how we submit ourselves to authority and then we we'll look at verse 13 till 17 so Peter now applies this principle knowing our identity in Christ as how we are to uh, obey authority so verse 13 till 17 is applied into a social political authority those who have been placed in authority above us so Peter starts with be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution or you may have a footnote where it says to every institution ordained for people if you look at it literally it says be subject to every human creature now rather going into a lot of detail right now with that Peter here is not talking about submission to institutions but he does talk to submissions to people but as people who are made in the image of God and of those who are in authority they have been placed in authority by God God has placed them in that place of authority so we should recognize that but also that those are people who are made in the image of God now as we look at this I don't want us to get to sidetracked in all specific details or extreme situations but focus on the basis as how we are to live again we saw earlier that we are Christians are in the world but not of the world now that will create tension in how we are to to live but as we have reminded earlier the psalmist speaks to those who do not walk in the way of sinners that they will be blessed so we have that encouragement that as we walk according to our identity in Christ we will be blessed 
So Peter, in this first part, calls us as believers to work out our faith through a right submission to civil authority. As followers of Christ, we are to submit to civil authority. Now when Peter writes this letter, it's either just before the time of Nero or during the time of Nero. There's a bit debate of when it exactly was written. But despite this, the Roman reign was known to be very authoritative and even and often corrupt in the way that they reigned. And yet, if Peter exhorts those believers at that time to submit to authority, how much more should we submit to authority in today's life? So there is a danger here that Peter warns us that although as we are loyal to Christ, it doesn't give us a license for rebellion. Indeed, we are free, but that doesn't mean freedom at all costs. So Christians must subject themselves even to ungodly authorities. The government does restrain much evil, despite the fact that some governments do sometimes much more evil and and even call evil good. But despite all of that, we are to submit to civil authorities. But not just to obey them, but even to do good, as we see later in this. So as Christians, how we live in that way, how we, how we do that, we should pray about that. And how would you respond to government, especially when we come to oppressive situations? So Peter here gives Christians no license to evade authority. But he does give a clarification as how we are to submit to authority. He speaks in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. And later on he says, for this is the will of God. So one example of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So even when he was arrested, he submitted himself to that authority. So though they have authority over us, Peter also downgrades the authority that those have above us. Just look with me at chapter 3, verses 22, where Peter speaks, who has the ultimate authority. So in verses, chapter 3, verse 22, um, I say, who has gone into heaven, that the Lord Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has the ultimate authority. And that does mean that it will limit the extent of our submission to the government. Again, there were times when Peter did not obey authority. When he was asked not to preach God's word, he continued to preach God's word, as we see in Acts 5. So again, we must obey God rather than men. And there will be times when we go against civil authority. Another example is Daniel's friends not bowing down to the statue. However... As Christians, as we live before God and as we obey God, we should go a long way in obeying those who have been um, as authority over us. So we draw the line of not submitting to them when we are being ordered to do things 
which will lead to sin. We are not to not obey authority because we just do not agree with them. There may be times when we do not agree with what civil authority says. And then there are ways in which we can argue against that. But as Christians, we should obey those who are above us. Unless it leads sin to our own lives and then we obey God more than man. Now the ground and warranty for our obedience and respect to them is the fact that these civil magistrates have their authority from God. Paul clearly speaks about that in Romans 13, the first two verses. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So we should realize that all those in a civil authority or another authority over us have been appointed by God. So it is, and that is the ground why we should obey those and respect them. But how we do that and how we respond to certain controversies in our own lives is only by focusing on the gospel. And our gospel, part of our gospel witness is how we submit to these uh, authorities. So our submission, therefore, to the authorities is part of our obedience to God. But also, it serves a purpose by God. And we see that in verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So as we obey those who are above us as Christians who do good and to respect authorities because they have been um, in that position placed by God. This will have an apologetic effect to those who are around us. You may be in a situation where people ask you why you behave in a certain way and it gives you an opportunity to be a witness to Christ in how you respect the authority that is above us. When we looked at the Christians away uh, at a time that Peter writes, many of the Christians have done things which are very strange to the, the people. The fact that they celebrate the Lord's Supper together and speaking about this is the body of Christ or this is the blood of Christ. They had much to explain because people thought they were cannibalists speaking about eating blood and eating the the body of Christ. So Christians at that time had to explain why they did certain things. Today we face the same ignorance. Many today do not know why Christ has come and why Christians do certain things. So if we as Christians show good citizenship, it will help others around us to understand Christians and not slander believers. So by doing good, therefore, as Peter writes, the ignorance of the foolish peoples will be put to silence. So therefore, as we see what Peter writes here, he doesn't give us a world view 
that separates Christians from the society or to withdraw from civil authority. No, we are indeed free in Christ, as he continues in verse 16. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Indeed, we live as people who are free, but not freedom and that to an ability to do whatever we want. In our freedom, it is a change of master. We now serve Christ. So Christians are free from sin and free from the devil. But we are free in order to become servants of God. And we serve God as we live in obedience to him. Just finally looking at verse 17. It says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Emperor, We see kind of four imperatives there, four things that we should do. There is much debate on what that exactly is, but I just want to go and give you a brief overview of that. So what Peter writes here is, so, is to honor everyone, not as to honor all people, but to all people to whom honor is due. So we are to fear and to honor the Christian brotherhood, to honor the Christian brotherhood, to honor God and to the emperor or those who are in authority over us. So we are to honor those to whom honor is due. So as we in our daily life submit to ungodly authority, how much are we to submit ourselves to our heavenly father? Who has all authority. The one who is the only true, holy, good and wise God. His governance over us is perfect in holiness, in goodness, in justice, love, mercy and grace. So therefore let us honor him as we act with integrity in our lives. That we towards honor act with the same goodness towards others. With the same justice, loving others, showing mercy and grace to those around us. So that in all that we do, God will be glorified through our work. We know that we will do that if we are in Christ. And if you live before Christ and increase in holiness. We have that confidence that his grace is sufficient for us to enable us. To walk in that way. And I want to finally just remind you of that from Ephesians 3 verses 20. That encouragement to us. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work in us. So it is Christ whose work in us to enable us to do so. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ. Through Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and loving Father, Father, we pray that you will help us as we live in this world. Father, there are so many things in this world that is not honoring Christ. And many of us may be having great difficulty living in such a world. So help us to be strong in Christ and to live 
witnessing to Christ. So that through our lives, many will come to give glory to God. Amen.